Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, this is just for my own information, but what's the worst sunburn you've ever had? Oh, girl. Oh, yeah. Worst sunburn I ever had was in Sun Valley, Idaho during the winter. (laughs) What? How did that happen? Because guess what? The sun reflects off the snow, dude. Oh, yeah. I was disgusting. It was (laughs) disgusting. (laughs) Yeah. Is Sun Valley high altitude? Yeah, I think so. Got to watch out for the sun in the high altitude, yeah. for sure. It'll get you. We had, we had to take office ID pictures like a few days later. <laughs> was it like People all were like, over? do you have a beard? Yeah, it was, no, it was my face. <gasps> it was the worst. It was my face. Oh, no. Because everyone went skiing and I just like sat outside reading a magazine. I mean, I might as well have, been, have the whole thing like an aluminum, oh, you know, gosh. reflector. What was your worst sunburn? I've had a few, but the funniest ones that I've had were places that I didn't expect to get a sunburn when I was hiking in Nepal. So I was hiking for like hours and hours a day. I was outside holding like my backpack straps and I put sunscreen everywhere. I put, but the backs of my hands yes! got sunburned ah! so bad. And when I came back to the States, cause it was like 30 days of walking. I got back to the States. My hands looked like I had like leather gloves because they were Shit. so burnt. It was, yeah, sunscreen on the back of your hands, people. It is important. And if you're in high altitudes, wear a hat because if you are light-skinned, the sun will penetrate your scalp and burn your scalp. (gasps) Yeah. Hurts. Perilous. Hurts. Anyway, (laughs) let's, uh, let's get to the show. This week, Amanda Knox, Kieran Deal, and Riri Cheney join us to tackle the following questions. New Yorkers don't want Andrew Cuomo to be their governor anymore. Will he finally be able to take no for an answer? How do you fight back when Hollywood won't stop exploiting your name? Do J-Lo and Ben Affleck have the right idea? And do millionaires really need you to stick up for them online? All this and more right now. All right. Cuomo feel the noise. (laughs) (laughs) New York Governor Andrew Cuomo 
did sexually harass 11 separate women who worked for him, according to a report that was released on Tuesday by the state of New York's attorney general's office. Andrew Cuomo, for his part, as we record right now, is not resigning, but we are leaving space and recording in case he is, because news happens on Wednesdays very inconveniently for us. Alyssa, you're in New York. How do you feel about what's going down and what's the attitude there? Oh, well, let me tell you, the tide's turning on this motherfucker. You know, a couple months ago when New Yorkers were asked, like, should he resign? It was something like less than 30%. Well, according to the news this morning, we're closer to 60%. His allies have jumped ship. You know, I think that a lot of folks who said back when the the first few allegations came out, left space for the investigation. And they said, look, if this bears out, then then he should step down. Well, one by one, the dominoes fell. Schumer, you need to resign. Gillibrand, you need to resign. Joe Biden. Joe Biden was like, sorry, it's time to go. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting for anyone who watched it was... Um, uh, Cuomo gave a statement with a video, a pre-recorded statement that included a montage of photos of him inappropriately touching, kissing, hugging, whatever, lots of people. But he also included pictures of uh, President Obama and President Bush hugging hurricane victims, being like, see, we all hug people. And it's like, bitch, please. It is these things are not the same. And, you know, so right now here in New York, the uh, New York State Assembly, the uh, Judiciary Committee is uh, looking into the articles of impeachment. And one fun fact about New York is that if during an impeachment, if there is an impeachment trial, if he does not resign, um, technically here, the lieutenant governor uh, takes over as he is being investigated. Now, he could pull a real Trump and be like, fuck that shit, I'm not going anywhere. But uh, there's not a lot of precedent, but as as the Constitution, I think, provides, uh, Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul would be, uh, would be acting governor during the impeachment trial. Interesting. And if that were to happen, she would be New York State's first female governor, correct? Correct. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday, and I wonder how many women only got a chance because some man who shouldn't have been above them tripped over their own dick, finally. Oh, that's a good point. You know, like, Kathy Hochul, as far as I know, is, is, a, is a fully competent yeah, totally. person. Who, who has, like, every, every any, as much business as anybody uh, <laughs> of, being in the, of being the governor. Um, and I just wonder, like, how many Kathy Hochuls are there out there who are, like, just as competent, if not more, uh, than the person who is elevated above them, but only get a chance when that person fucks up so bad that there's no more denying it. Erin, that feels like a hysteria holiday pitch if I ever heard one. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, listeners, if you have any examples of women who are exceptional, who only got a chance because the man above them screwed up so bad that it could no longer be denied, uh, send them in to us. We are uh, hysteria at crooked.com. I wanted to make a comment about Andrew Cuomo's press conference. It's hard for me to watch men that I am very angry with yeah. try to defend themselves. Um, so I could only watch bits and pieces, but I did see, it's not a press conference, it was a statement. But, you know, the statement was very much along the lines of like the narcissist's prayer. You've heard the narcissist's prayer, right? Do it for that, me. That 
that didn't happen. And if it did, it wasn't that bad. And if it was, that's not a big deal. And if it is, that's not my fault. And if it was, I didn't mean it. And if I did, you deserved it. And at the very end of the day, it's clear you just misunderstood me. Exactly. This is on you for misunderstanding me. Uh, what do you make of the the excuse that he made that there was a generational or cultural difference that caused 11 separate women to accuse him of sexual harassment in the workplace? Well, one, I think when 11 separate people are involved, it's it's thin. But also, if if that were true, if if he wanted to claim I was raised at a different time, you well, then you you apologize. You say you were wrong. You make amends. You do better. You know, I mean, nothing Mm -hmm. that he that he has done if that is the case, and he's like, I was, you know, some people were taught, were raised by parents who used terrible language. Guess what? When you get older, you do better and you learn. And his, everything that he, everything that he put out yesterday was just a fucking excuse. And he took ownership of nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. And, and so much of the this is the workplace. Oh, he, when he was like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is, uh, it's, it's working in the governor's office is tough. It's hard work. It's hard, hard work. And some people just like misunderstand because they can't handle the pressure. And it's like, oh, buddy, this isn't what happens when like workplaces are hard and you work a lot of hours that you like grope each other. Like that's not, also, it's not like he's explaining a consensual affair. He felt women up made them uncomfortable, was their boss. You know, I think one of the most damning allegations, not that there's a, I don't mean that there's a spectrum, but I think that it's one that we hadn't heard before, was um, how he assaulted the state trooper there to protect him. That he would feel her back in the elevator, that he would like, I don't know, it sounds like touch her uterus when she was walking by him. Um there to protect him. There to protect him. And he still was like, hey, girl. Like, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the perks of being a person in power is not that you get unfettered access to the bodies of people below you in the power structure. And I feel like there's a lot of men that don't understand that. Andrew Cuomo among them. I also I also want to say uh, you and I have both brought this up, but He's a very Trumpy person. Very there, Trumpy. There is there's a lot of parallels between him and Donald Trump, even though he's gotten a lot of mileage out of being anti-Trump or being, you know, this brave guy standing up against Trump. His personal conduct and the way that he's handling this is very much along the lines of Donald Trump. Although Trump wouldn't have put out a video about how he like hugs everyone. He would have been like, fuck you and not said anything. Um, It's almost worse the way that Cuomo did it, I think. I also want to say that this is another example, another example in in many, many examples that I've noticed in my uh, adult life of women turning on somebody and being like, this guy is a fucker. This guy is a fucker. And then like a year later, everyone is like, wow, nobody knew that this guy was a fucker. And it's like, oh, my gosh, women from like literally Zephyr Teachout, Cynthia Nixon to Meghan McCain and Essie Cup and like people who are more conservative, but not necessarily complete ideologues. All were like, this guy's a fucking creep, you know, and creep and and like how how 
much do we have to harp on, hey, we don't like this guy, bad vibes, bad vibes city from this guy before the general public and the chrysalises of the world, like, believe us. Um, and speaking of Chris's, I want to talk about uh, Chris Cuomo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his bro- Oh, boy. <laughs> so Andrew Cuomo also assembled a super team. Uh, a super team? Yeah. Just a super team of uh, advisors to help him navigate the uh, PR landmine field that was uh, these accusations when they first started surfacing and then resurfacing starting, I think, in December of last year. Uh, among those consultants, among those people in his team was his brother, Chris Cuomo, who is an anchor at CNN. Alyssa, what do you make of that? Here's my view. One, I guess. So here's the thing. With the Cuomos, it always comes down to hubris, right? Would I think that if my sister were in trouble, would I want to help her? Yes, I would. Um, If my sister were governor, would I want to help her? Yes, I would. And I was a news anchor. However, what I wouldn't do is be like, he was putting memos out. He was doing conference calls. It's like, I mean, it's just, it's like, I don't expect him to have superhuman, sorry, brother, you know, I'm not going to even talk to you about this, but the hubris of putting that shit in writing and leading conference calls with like hordes, like groups and groups of people trying to figure out a strategy, a strategy, which by the way, is the fireable offense, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? And so I just, I think, I think that, you know, I allow for a certain amount of like, this is family. But like fucking get it together. And he'd already been called out on it once before and he just kept doing it. Yeah. I mean, it is it is very hubristic. And you bring up a good point because I think about what I would do for my siblings. And one of the things I would do is not endanger my entire career and my morality and my the reputation of my workplace um, in order to defend indefensible behavior. I, I just wouldn't do that. Right. And, you know, and I think that it's like, it's kind of an, it's not okay to even ask that of somebody. Like I wouldn't even, if I did something super fucked up, I wouldn't like come to you, Alyssa, and be like, can you be on my super team of like damage control professionals? Because that's just like out of line, you know? Totally agree. It's totally, totally agree. I mean, though you, you understand how the lapse could happen, how someone as megalomaniacal as Andrew Cuomo could go to his brother, Chris Cuomo, and be like, brother, help me. But I mean, the whole thing is just such a, it's like shit soup. It's it's really gross. And I definitely don't want a piping hot serving of it. Hmm. Um, I I do want to point out one thing before uh, we move on to like the will he or won't he resign question. Um, A thing that I think about a lot, you know, with this Cuomo coverage is it's really, I'm glad that he's getting a lot of coverage for being a shithead. Uh, New York is a huge state. He's in charge of a lot of people and he shouldn't be able to get away with uh, mistreating his employees in that way and to that extent, or nor should he get away with, you know, getting a $5 million book deal to write a book about a pandemic response that he actually like fudged. Um, There's a bunch of stuff that he should not be getting away with. And I'm glad the media is reporting on it. But I think a lot about how the kind of death of local journalism means that we sometimes get attention to people like Andrew Cuomo, who are fucking up at the state level, but national audiences aren't necessarily paying attention to these like state level fuckery things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I guest hosted what a day this week. And this is one of the things I brought up when I was guest hosting, but you know, the AG of South Dakota, the current attorney general of South Dakota ran over a guy and killed him with his car last fall. 
Did know that. Did know yeah. that. <laughs> and he's still the attorney general and they're charging him only with misdemeanors. Yeah. And he's still the AG. Still the AG. Uh, and each misdemeanor carries a 30 day uh, jail sentence. And I think they charged him with three. So we might have to go to jail for 90 days for being on his phone and killing a man with his car. So that's happening in South Dakota. And look, South Dakota does not contribute to the national economy to the extent that New York does. Nor are there, I mean, there are cool people there, but there's not many people there, period. So, you know, there's not as many people that this directly affects, but like this guy is still an attorney general and that is not something that we should be letting slide. Uh, I also want to bring up Eric Greitens, who uh, was the governor of Missouri, who resigned in 2018 because of a credible accusation that he um, sexually assaulted and harassed a woman in a really horrific way. Um, And I've written about it, you know, for the Daily Beast and I've talked about it before, but this guy is like a fucking monster. Um, He resigned from the uh, from the gubernatorial office under pressure from his own party because he was facing like multiple scandals. And now he's running for Senate. No, he's running for Senate. And like, you know, I know I'm not saying don't pay attention to Andrew Cuomo. Because we should be, and I'm glad we are. But like, let's not let it be at ex- at the expense yeah. of these small time fuckers who could become big time fuckers. Because if somebody like Eric Greitens gets in the U.S. Senate, he's going to be like an even worse Josh Hawley, you know. And Missouri is too good to allow that shit to happen to them twice. I know that Missouri is is better than that. Isn't Missouri Missouri the show me state? Yeah, yeah. Show me your best, Missouri. Show, show me your best, because I think that they're. It's there. Got to be better. We're currently not being shown it. Okay. Um, do you think he's going to resign? I actually do think he's going to resign. When? Because, so I think that it's going to take him a bit, but I think that he is not someone who will endure an impeachment trial and watching all of his former allies just like ditch him. It just feels like more than he could, his ego could take, but I've been wrong before. <laughs> yeah. But you're you've also been a news witch before, so that's true. Who, who can say? Um, I think that I would say I'm about sixty forty. I'm taking the like easy way out here. I think I'm sixty forty. He will resign. He won't resign. Um, I think we do know now that he will not be president. That's one thing that's that's nice. He'll never be the president. He will not be president. Yeah. He will not never be, president. be the president. Um, but I think that if he does resign, he'll do it in a way that is like kind of a like PR professional advised way. So he'll do it on like yeah. a Friday after Hannity airs, after Tucker airs, after like after all the primetime news shows are in the can so that it's not like it's not in the cycle until Monday. And at that point, it won't be like dominating everything. But yeah, that's my prediction is like a Friday evening resignation. And he won't, he'll say he's doing it for New York State. He'll never say he did anything wrong. Yeah. And you know what? When is Labor Day? Co- when is Labor Day? It's coming up, right? uh, September 7th. September okay. 7th. Well, if he can hang on for a month, he might do it right before Labor Day weekend. That is Friday of Labor Day feels right. Yeah. that's That seems right. I mean, if we were near Thanksgiving, he would be doing it on like the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Wednesday night when everyone's out at the bar. Exactly. Hopefully, you know, <laughs> Delta. Yeah. And everybody is wearing masks. Uh, at bonfires and socially distanced. I don't know. What do you do on, what do you do during a pandemic on Thanksgiving? I don't know. Um, okay. Uh, let's, let's move on to some quick toasts and roasts. Toast to Cori Bush. Why are we toasting Cori Bush this week? 
I mean, we always toast we're, her, but we're toasting Cori Bush because she wasn't having it. The eviction moratorium uh, expired last Saturday. She, uh, as someone who had been without a home, she wanted to bring attention to the issue. Uh, many of her colleagues joined in. Uh, AOC went down to see her. I think Bernie uh, Bernie Sanders showed up at her sleep-in, sit-in on the Capitol steps. And Speaker Pelosi was helping to draw attention to it. And now uh, we hear that the CDC is going to uh, suspend the eviction or extend. It's This is one of those things. It's like the logic problem that is hard for me to say. They will extend the eviction moratorium until October 1st. Yes. Uh, and also she has gotten a lot of attention for her efforts. Like if she was not out there, correct. Um, she wouldn't have, have gotten near the attention to the issue that it deserves. And she got some snaps from Barbara Lee, Barbara Lee, one of the rightest people in Congress, like one yes. of the only correct people about the Iraq war. If people remember that, um, she gave her some props also. Um, I want to say that the Cori Bush standing up, um, in favor of extending the eviction moratorium brings home the fact that we need more people in Washington who know what it's like to be a regular person. Yep, definitely. Be- because regular people interests are not represented when it's a bunch of Joe Manchin houseboat party motherfuckers. Um, what we need are people who understand what it's like to be evicted from something. Right. You know, and uh, and she's just, uh, I just I just think the world of her and I want her to come on the show. Uh, but she's got more important work to do, I think, usually most of the time. Okay, <laughs> uh, let's do a quick, I'm going to do a roast. Let's roast someone. Oh man, Senator Cinema. Oh. We've been attacking. We've been like Dems in disarray this <laughs> this episode. But you know what? I think that it's really important to be honest when we are disappointed with somebody from our own side. I agree. Don't you think it it makes our appointments that much more valid down exactly. the road? We are. What is love? It love. It's a straight shooter. Yeah. What are the, we? It gives us. A straight shooter rep or something like that. No, it's just, you know, we don't, we don't bullshit when we don't pretend that we like when something is happening if we don't actually like it. So Senator Cinema, who I saw somebody on Twitter refer to as a quote, chaotic bisexual, <laughs> um, which I found very, very funny. Um, Cinema won't stick around to vote on the infrastructure bill because she is going on vacation and she doesn't want to change her vacation plans. Um, Schumer announced that they might cut the recess short in August so that they can vote on the infrastructure bill. And Sinema says, um, she'll be leaving if that's the case. She just needs to go on vacation. Um, does she want people to not like her? Here's my thing about all this. It's like, look, if you come like, you, you know, it's the establishment in me. It's like, if you are institutionalist in me, it's like, if she were to say, I read the bill and I have some fundamental disagreements. Here's how this doesn't help the people of Arizona, yada, yada, yada. I might not like get on her so bad, but like she just flits around and is like, um, yeah, I have vacation and I'm not staying. And when she said that she wasn't going to support the bill, she hadn't even read it. And it's like, even Joe Manchin does the work. I mean, at least he reads the bill. Yeah. I mean, I find myself often thinking more fondly about Lisa Murkowski than I do of Kirsten Cinema. 
even though Murkowski is a Republican and she has voted in in like line with the Democrats way less than Senator Sinema ever has, for whatever reasons, like Murkowski is more capable of projecting an air of having principles. And Sinema is just yeah. sort of like just kind of it seems like chaotic, selfish and glib. Yeah, totally. And I don't think that like it's sexist to point that out because, you know, if a man were acting like this, we would be saying, fuck that guy. Every week. Totally. It's, it's, and also like Lisa Murkowski, you know, she said, here's the thing. Lisa Murkowski is like, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And she's normally within five degrees of that. Cinema campaign is a progressive. Yeah. An anti-Iraq <laughs> war progressive. She campaigned, she came as a progressive. So to me, it's like, mm-hmm. you fake. Yeah. And here's hoping that 2022 sees us, uh, the Democrats, widen their majority in the Senate. The map looks pretty good. The Republican candidates look pretty bad. And if we win enough seats, guys, Kirsten Cinema won't matter anymore, even though she's not up for election until 2024. But we can basically- It's like a lifetime. Promote cinema erasure if we simply expand <laughs> the majority in the Senate. I mean, I guess it's not that simple of a task, but I think we can do it. Um, Okay. Well, I'm really excited for the interview that is coming up after this. Um, You know, Alyssa, I think good things can happen on Twitter for sure. Oh yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes real good things can happen. Right. So this interview uh, got set up because I DM'd this person and was like, hey, I saw your tweets and that's, that's why she's on the show this week. So I can't wait to hear your interview. I can't wait for you to hear it either. Uh, Stick around. I have an interview with Amanda Knox coming up. And welcome back. We are very excited today to welcome Amanda Knox to Hysteria. She's a journalist and author. Her New York Times bestselling book is called Waiting to be Heard. And she's the co-host of her very own podcast called Labyrinths, which is really good, Amanda, <laughs> by Thank the way. you. Thank you. It's really good. Um, welcome. First of all, I want to ask you, like, how are you doing? You've had kind of a week. I have had kind of a week, although it was a bit unexpected, honestly. Um, I feel like I've been speaking about these issues, about um, representation, um, about the misappropriation of individual people's narratives for a long time, and um, particularly based upon my own experience of having my story sort of treated like Dracula, where everyone gets to have their own spin on it every few years. Um, So... (laughs) You know, I I have been speaking up about this issue for a while now, but for some reason this week, it really resonated with people and I'm really grateful for that. So uh, thanks for reaching out and um, and wanting to talk to me about this sort of broader issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like just to bring our listeners up to speed if they're not already. Last week, you wrote a piece that was published on Medium and then also in The Atlantic, um, which was responding to the forthcoming release of the movie Stillwater, which is a movie that has used your name to promote a sensationalized version of your story involving a character that is like a sensationalized version of you. So it's like a funhouse mirror, but you don't get to have any fun. Um, Can you walk (laughs) us through how you became aware that your name was being used yet again without your consent and what prompted you to write what you wrote? Well, I found out about the movie and um, their use of my name um, like everyone else did when the trailer came out and when the reviews started happening. Um, So I was given no sort of special prior knowledge or um, treatment uh, in 
how, in, in, in the fact that this was a story that was inspired by my case um, and that was directly sort of representing it in a new light in this uh, in this director's imagination. Um, and I think the thing that my initial response to it, I actually did a Twitter thread um, when I first learned about it and I didn't really know how they were going to approach the story was... I hope they do a good job. Um, I hope that they are going to represent the story well. They're going to humanize the individuals involved. There's a lot of people whose lives are at stake and reputations are at stake in the representation of these stories, whether or not they're being represented in journalism or in fiction. Um, And I crossed my fingers. And then I did a little bit of research and I found out that when Tom McCarthy says he was inspired by the premise of the Amanda Knox case, but he wanted to take it into a new direction, he didn't, in fact, take it really in a new direction at all. He just further entrenched the ongoing false narrative, which is some kind of sexualized crime that I was either directly or indirectly involved in through this character that he presented. So it it was frustrating because... I feel like, once again, it's the mythology of my case that is given airtime and is given space. And it is not so much the actual reality of the story that is given time. And and neither is my voice ever sort of considered as an important part of the authorship of and development of these kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's sort of like they're treating your humanity as like an inconvenient detail, uh, which is like <laughs> really, really fucked up. I've seen mostly positive reaction to the piece that you wrote and to your Twitter thread on social media, but uh, I block people for being annoying on Twitter. So I think I might just be in a specific corner. Has I am guilty of that I as mean, well. Seriously, I have like the <laughs> lowest threshold. I'm like, well, that was annoying. Block. I, I just no more patience. Um, so I've seen positive reaction to the piece. Um, has the reaction overall been positive and supportive? And have you heard from anybody involved in the film since it went live? So I have received quite a bit of really positive feedback from the piece, and that has been incredibly encouraging because I do feel like we're moving in this direction of a sort of awakening about like the power dynamics in storytelling. And this is not just the power dynamics that happen in the courtroom and not just in in journalistic media, but also in Hollywood and the stories that certain people are empowered to tell and who gets to be the author of those narratives. And, you know, we we talk a lot about like cultural appropriation and when stories are told at the expense of groups of people. And what I'm hoping for is a conversation to begin about stories and narratives that are told at the expense of individual people as well, um, who are not the Matt Damons and the Tom McCarthy's of the world, but who are people like myself who found themselves in the middle of a big, insane story that they were that was completely out of their control and that continues to be out of their control. Um, so that's that was my goal in in bringing this piece up. And I think the really encouraging thing is for some reason it clicked. People people reached out to me to say, I never thought of it that way. And, you know, 
that has been deeply encouraging. What's been less encouraging is that I have not yet heard back from anyone affiliated with the film. Um, and I wonder if part of that is because they are assuming that I'm coming from a place of wanting to be litigious. I'm genuinely not. I'm more interested in having a conversation with people about their predispositions towards other people's stories. If anything, I view this as a potential really wonderful learning experience and bridge building exercise between someone like myself who finds themselves constantly recycled as other people's content and those who are content creators. So they have that in mind the next time they go ahead and tell someone else's story, preferably with their consent. Right, right. You know, it's <laughs> it's funny. I have like a small anecdote. Um, when I was like early on in my career, I was working at a blog and I wrote a blog post, like a one-off blog post where I was really snarky about this college writer who wrote a piece from like a conservative perspective. And I was really, really snarky. And apparently the piece went viral on her campus mm -hmm. and it really like ruined her week. And like over a year later, I was at a party in DC and she was at the party, oh, the wow. girl that I had written this thing about and totally forgotten about writing the piece. Um, and she later sent me a message on Twitter that was like, I was going to come up to you and say hi. And that started a conversation between the two of us. It was like, I treated you like fodder for a piece and I didn't think about your feelings. Anyway, she's one of my really good friends mm -hmm. now. We talk all the time. That's fantastic. But I feel like the thing that you're trying to do, which is like people just treat the subject of your story like a human being, is something that can have like a really positive outcome for people that are sometimes guilty or have been guilty in the past of dehumanizing people. Like there is a, Absolutely. there's another side to it. Um, yeah. But yesterday I was, uh, there was an old clip from an interview you did with, with Chris Cuomo that was recirculating because Chris Cuomo is in a little bit of hot water for <laughs> some poor decisions that he has made. Yeah, uh, I that saw that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I watched it and I couldn't believe how fucking gross it was. Like, I couldn't believe how gross it was. If I were you, I would have like a really long mental shit list of people in media. Um, do you have a mental shit list? Like, are you still angry at anybody who you rightfully could be angry about? And if not, like, how have you moved on from holding on to that anger? Well, I think that um, the all of those interviews that took place at that time are sort of all guilty of the same and this systemic problem of treating people who find themselves at the center of of these big stories as as if they need to be treated like the characters in the morality plays that they have been projected as and not as human beings that legitimately could be your friend or your daughter or you know whatever like it, it what occurs to me today with a ton of perspective and, and, and a bunch of journalistic experience now is that just because something has been put out there, that Amanda Knox is a deviant sex drug addict and that was what was presented by the prosecution without any evidence, doesn't mean that you as a journalist must <laughs> pursue that course of thinking in questioning of that person if there's no reason to believe that in the first place. No one should... The kinds of questions that lots of people, not just Chris Cuomo, were posing me in that time period were questions that, honestly, I shouldn't have ever have had to answer because 
there was no evidence that I had murdered Meredith Kircher. And there was no evidence that I was a deviant sex addict. And it was all based upon this false narrative um, that was presented in the courtroom for the sake of winning an argument in court instead of actually coming to the truth of the matter. So if I were Chris Cuomo, I would not have asked myself those questions. I would have asked different questions. Do I think that he is particularly like a heinous example of it? There were lots of heinous examples of that at the time. So I don't want to just pick him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, but it's fun because today in the news, <laughs> um, has anybody reached out to you to like make amends for that period of time for treating you in a way that was like unfair? Um, you know, it's interesting. It's less the people who found themselves in the position to to portray me and more the people who are consuming those kinds of media. So um, I've had people who followed my case from the headlines and who have approached me to say, I am so sorry for treating you as entertainment. Um, what I have not heard is that from the people who actually created those headlines, I'm sorry for having turned you into entertainment. I have yet to hear that. And um, that would be nice. I'm going to be honest. I'm not counting on it. I'm not sitting on any kind of guarantee. Um but I am hoping that starting this conversation so that we feel we sort of pause to question what how we are entitled to other people's lives and stories is something we become more self-aware of as storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to take a second to pivot and talk about your podcast, Labyrinths. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm currently listening to the series that you and your husband did on infertility. And I just wanted to compliment you on it. It's uh, oh. probably like the bravest depiction I've heard in a podcast of infertility issues. It's super raw. Um, yeah, it's super raw and you went through it yourself. So yeah. was it a hard decision to put such a personal journey out there like that? Since like so many people already think they know so much about you, like, have you gotten feedback from listeners about like hearing this podcast and hearing this series and like, how has that, how has that resonated? So thank you for bringing that up because it's, it's a it's something that I'm really proud of. So in Labyrinths, I try to enact all of the principles in journalism and storytelling that I see lacking in the world at large. And Stillwater is an example where I I try to put – I ask myself in any story, who has the most at stake? And then I try to center that person's perspective in the narrative. And in this case, infertility is this – shocking experience that is shockingly common, um, extremely existential, and yet is not very much talked about, is largely taboo, and is largely kept in the shadows, even from people who, who, like, I know I've talked to people who wouldn't even tell their parents about the struggles that they're going through because it feels, like, so deeply personal. And if, if it comes across as as brave and raw and real, it's in large part because of the women and couples that I talked to. These people, I I reached out after having experienced my own journey and been and been shocked by how little I knew and how little guarantee there was and just how alone I felt. And then all of these people reached out to me to say, I felt that too. And with all our voices combined, we we really tried to cover a lot of ground of the various ways that fertility can be 
<laughs> can be a struggle and sometimes end in not what you expected it to be and how processing that can really change you as a human being. Um, so I think the other aspect or the other part of that to answer your question um, of how does it feel to get so personal and so candid um, about something so deeply personal I've been kind of stripped naked and bare uh, <laughs> since 2007 while I was on trial. So really, I am I am familiar with the power of vulnerability and just brutal honesty, and how how much good it can it can do for others when I and others are willing to expose what is deeply true and honest about ourselves. Um, there is there is great strength in vulnerability, and that is something that I try to portray in every episode of my podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing um, specifically that I I would recommend everybody listen to that series specifically. Um, but I thought, especially if you're a person who hasn't gone through infertility, and the reason why is because I think you don't think about it, yes. you know, and, but you know, somebody who's gone mm. through it. And so this is just a really good way, I think, for anybody to familiarize themselves with like the, what your friends have almost certainly gone through. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really glad it exists. Thank you for, thank you for making yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Is there anything else you're working on right now that you're particularly proud of or excited about? I mean, my ongoing series that I have coming ahead for Labyrinths are really exciting and also deeply personal. Um, so I'm I'm excited to share all of that. Um, I'm looking into situations like the ethics of true crime journalism and um, psychedelic mushrooms and, uh, you know, the satanic panic. All of these are issues that I'm deep diving into in this um, up in these upcoming seasons of Labyrinths. And I'm really proud of the work. And I'm really proud of the people who have been willing to share their stories and perspectives with me. So I honestly would just point to that. Awesome. Yeah. Those are things I'm interested in as well. Psychedelic mushrooms specifically. Um, yeah. Uh, so Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for speaking out and continuing to speak out. And um, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. And we're back. Alyssa, do you ever have like show-related anxiety dreams? I do sometimes. Yeah. Last night, so the topic of this week, we're going to talk about exes. And as a result of that topic and thinking about it before I went to bed, I had anxiety dreams up the wazoo about exes. And they were all terrible. They all hated me. Were they coming to haunt you like the ghost of Christmas past? No, but one of them was like playing basketball. And uh, 
I was like walking through the gym. First of all, he's not athletic and doesn't play basketball. So that was weird. And then, um, I, w- I waved at him and he just like walked out of the gym in disgust. And I was like, guess he's still mad. Um, we say fuck that guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm so mad at this dream person I haven't talked to in like eight years. Um, anyway, I want to introduce the other two women who are joining us today because I think that this conversation will be really fun. First, uh, she is a comedian who you can see on tour in vaccinated places only in New York, D.C., Boston, and L.A., so watch her socials for that. Kieran Deal. Hi. We're back. We're back here. Excited. Are you excited to do comedy again in front of audiences? So excited. Oh, people with their faces. It's wild. (laughs) Uh, Well, they might have to have masks on, but maybe they can draw mouths on their masks. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. They'll show the cards. It'll be great. But it's just like, even just seeing the eyes, seeing the eyes in real person time is just great. She's crushing (laughs) it, crushing it with the words today. Real person time. This is going to be a great hour of comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And last but not least, she is a writer and fashion icon, Riri Cheney. Oh my God. I didn't know I was. Thanks for that. Yes, you did. Yeah, you did. Hi, guys. I'm more, I'm just like a lady out here trying to remember what it's like to wear clothes outside her home. Do you ever like open your closet? And maybe this is just me because I don't know how to do anything anymore. But do you ever open your closet and you're like, how do I dress? Totally. Oh, that's me every time. That's every single, single time. It's like, this is something that I'm actively trying to figure out right now. Because for a second, it looked like the writer's room I was in right now, that I'm in, was going in person. And of course, that shut down because someone read what was happening outside. (laughs) And uh, I was just making carts of clothing. I know it's a point of privilege, but like making carts of clothing, like what, eh, who am I now outside? What do I do? What does it do? So I think that's why I have been relying on 90s diva (laughs) moments to just guide me the last like month and a half. I'm just just wearing a crop top and a high jean, you know? (laughs) I'm going, I'm going with a sort of like, um, Daytona 500, 1997, mm-hmm. wayward teen aesthetic for this pregnancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so I have like bright pink uh, biker shorts that, yes. I, that I can like pull up over my belly and like big t-shirts of bands oh, with cars on them. You should check out one of Kirsten Dunst's early performances, Pregnant at 16. She literally wears everything you talked about. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm... I'm not going for, but that's where I've arrived at this. Yeah. I'm doing like single mom running late to pick you up from daycare a lot. Like a lot of like oversized Oxford's kind of tucked high and then like always keys, Mm -hmm. like always holding Mm -hmm. too many keys. She's she's got a baby. She's got a briefcase. Can Can she have it all? Um, only if she goes into making jam. Uh-huh, hey. What's up? <laughs> um, okay, so I wanted to talk about exes because it's kind of been on my mind. It's been on our producer's mind. Um, it's been on America's mind because mm. um, it seems like there are some things that were old that are new again, namely uh, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck are yes. back together. <laughs> Um, Riri's doing a dance. Riri, what are your thoughts on their reunion? I 
love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I had to be talked into it in a backyard by two friends who were just like, some, some things are just yummy and enjoy them. I think they're both too old to be doing this. They should know better and they don't. And I think that's great. I literally had a dream that I saw them getting into a fight. Like, <laughs> this is so stupid. But I think I was reading Hunter Harris's newsletter that throws me on my butt every every two days or so. And she said, sometimes people are just the same. We can try to learn some things and we can try to evolve. But at the end of the day, you are who you are. And these dumb Leos <laughs> are who they are. He knows how to watch her do a photo shoot. He did it. 15 years ago for the first time or 17 years ago at this point. So I'm down for it. They're, you know, their kids hopefully have therapy. They'd be all right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kieran, I know that you're not like the most celebrity tuned in person. I think you're probably one of the least celebrity tuned in people that I know, which is a, which is a compliment. It really is. Um, but the, the larger topic that I wanted to talk about was like, going back to somebody that you thought you'd left behind? Have you ever gone back to an ex or reconnected with somebody that you once were close with? And what was that experience like? Was Were you able to fall back into sync or did you meet again and think, wow, we are different now? Uh, my family and I are strict. Don't tell, don't pa- don't ask. Like It's like a, a don't don't talk about your relationship policy. So this topic, I was like, oh, I love this. I love that this is so public, you know, that (laughs) so all of this is like a disclaimer and they're just, these are just fictions and lies for me. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to put that disclaimer out. Like none of this is, all of this is fabricated from a journal that I wrote last night. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I've definitely, yeah, I've, I've definitely like you think someone's going to be different or like, you know, someone in college and then you're like, oh, that was good. And then you double back around. I've had it be that it's, um, yeah, really imploded and been really bad, you know, and and then other times I think you can't you don't think there's any room for like growth or maturity over time. You're like, oh, we were stupid. The stuff was stupid. The problems were dumb. Um, and we're less dumb now. Yeah. I guess sometimes the thing that you were mad at that drove you apart no longer matters. And you find that, you know, like Riri was saying about Benefer, uh, you find that like deep down inside the core of who you are is like ultimately compatible and like, you know, you just need to give the bullshit some time to disperse. Um, I think in other time, in other cases, it sometimes is like, you're like two elements coming together and, it's only a matter of time if you spend enough time around that person that the bullshit will build back up because that's who you are and that's who they are. And like you might be able to like meet and start clean again, but like the bullshit always comes back. Um, Alyssa, have you ever had an experience with an ex that has been like positive or have you had one that's been like particularly negative? And how did that go? So what I'll say is there was someone who I dated for a long time. I'm just going to say, you know, it's not a sweeping generalization, except usually if people cheat, they're going to do it again. Um, So when I went back and that happened, I was more disappointed in myself for being like, you knew it, you knew it, you ding dong, except we ended up being, it's like I have an ability to separate component parts of people sometimes. So I was like, okay, here's the thing. Terrible boyfriend very supportive friend. So we ended up being very supportive friends. Um, but 
the time, I mean, it was it was one of those things like fool me once, fool me twice, fool me this one last third time. <laughs> <laughs> That third time was the charm. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And like, the thing is, you don't want to believe that they are the person that they always were. Like, no, when you meet somebody, you're like, you immediately start creating a fiction about who they are. And uh, eventually reality conflicts with that fiction. And sometimes you're so devoted to the fiction that you're like willing to ignore reality over and over again. And uh, until you're cheated on three times. Um, I mean, at, at, at least three. <laughs> uh, oh man, that's oof. Well, it seems like you've moved on to better. I mean, things. look at me, <laughs> forty-five and gorgeous, well-adjusted. <laughs> three Riri, cats you, and counting. Um, Riri, are you somebody who checks up on your exes, whether like directly or via uh, not stalking, but you know, mm. silent internet watching tabs? Do I keep tabs? Yeah, do you keep um, tabs? Well, not to age myself. I've only dated in the age of social media. So, oh. yeah. So, it's it's more of an active untabbing that has to happen because like you meet someone even if it's not even if, even if it's a nothing and you, you follow them or you used to be Facebook friends with them or you used to poke each other on Facebook and ugh. Golly. Um, so that made it interesting in terms of like boundary setting. I also went through a phase where I didn't want to give people the satisfaction of blocking them. Um, but because I thought that said something about me, like that I couldn't handle seeing them in my lives. But then I realized I'll bump that shit. Mm-hmm. I'll block you no matter what. I will block you quickly now. To the point that a couple of years ago, I did have someone come up to me and be like, did you block me on everything? I was like, I sure did. Sure did. Had a great time. Had a great time. You live where? Oh, magnificent. Wait, Wait but, me your last name. What's your last name? Again? It was so funny. It was like at some, the blacklist party. And I was just like, oh yeah, I don't, um, I don't even know this, that this is your face anymore. Like I, you're, you're fully on. But there is something of like, I do wonder having grown up or having been like out in the world looking for other humans, what I've lost because it's so easy to get to them or like whether or not that actually has made me a little stronger because it's not like old rom-coms are like, I haven't seen this person in 20 years. It's like their, their presence is around. So maybe that makes like built a certain level of fortitude that I wasn't that might not have been there otherwise, or fuck them. I shouldn't see them at all. I don't know, but I try not to. You guys, I've got a good one. As the technological pterodactyl of this group, the person <laughs> dating pre all of this, do you know the way that I busted aforementioned boyfriend? No. He needed, he was on the road and uh, his mailbox was full in his Blackberry and it needed to be dumped. You used to, you guys may be too young for this, but at certain periods, your BlackBerry would like, it would have more than it could handle. And you'd have to go into the desktop and delete all the emails for your BlackBerry to keep working. And he was like, hey, can you do me a favor? I'm about to get on the plane with so-and-so. And can you dump uh, my inbox? And I was like, 
sure. Not thinking anything of it. And then I read the fucking emails and I was like, yeah. oh my God, are you kidding me? Not That's her. the original got caught through the cloud. Yeah. 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 Guys, I'm an origin sent, story. He sent you to the cloud. That's yeah. Was that the same guy who cheated on you three yeah, times? Yeah, that's how I found out about the first time. <laughs> that's Ooh, bold. like cheats over that is email. Bold. Cheating yeah. over email feels so pterodactyly. You're right, Alyssa. It's a very pterodactyly. But thing. if that's the step off of like your voicemail, like we have to think about it in terms <laughs> of like what was the easy technology. Sorry, Alyssa, that was so shady, girl, and I didn't mean to. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm here. Guys, I own my truth, all right? I, I was take trying it to be all. like, let's give her some credit. She didn't have to leave. It's like not leaving a note with the doorman <laughs> or a service. It's this, it's that. Um, Kieran, I was just thinking, you know, about like nightmare exes. I think everybody has one ex, so like that person was the nightmare. Do you have a particular nightmare ex or is there any situation in which you're like, wait, am I the nightmare? Like, have you been nightmared or are you a nightmare? Can't, it's probably both. Look, you probably are both. Like anyone who's sitting there being like, everyone around me was trash. <laughs> is, you, it's like, look, look at, you know, you're probably sitting in garbage <laughs> is the truth. Right. Yeah. Like it, it, that has to be true. It takes, it takes two people. It takes two people for the, you know, you said it's like we're two elements, but you need two elements. Right. So it's like, you know, I'm sure I've been a trash fire sometimes, you know, I think I can be bad about for like, it's if you like, okay, Alyssa, you took that guy back, but it's like, you have to go back with like a clean slate. You, you gotta be like, you can't hold the grudge of like, you know, I've had friends who go back from cheating and then they're like, but you can't hold the grudge. Otherwise that's going to like chip away at whatever the relationship between the two of you is. Um, and you'll murder it together. You know, um, I think I've been, I think I've been kind of awful. I'm sure, I'm sure that's true. That has to be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's like a hard thing to reckon with. I think that's a part of like getting older is realizing like, oh, there's, there's no way that every single person I was ever in a relationship with wronged me, even though that's sometimes the story that we tell ourselves. Because in some cases, we're the we're the ones that are screwing up. And like our screw up leads to them screwing up and it becomes this like kind of Jenga game of fuckery until the whole thing collapses. A way a way my friend put it is she was like, if if I call you up, Aaron, and I'm like, what's up, you stupid bitch? You know, like you, you might be like, huh, what? Like, why is she saying this to me? Or if I say anything like, what's up, you know, what's up? What If, if I say anything mean, there's going to be a fundamental, like foundational level of trust that I'm not trying to wrong you. And like, I feel like what will happen in almost any relationship is that that trust gets chipped away at. So it's like, you start to feel affronted by something that may or may not mean something. You know, it's like a person might forget your name on an invitation or whatever the thing is. And it's like, but it's, it, it could be a, a genuine small oversight, mm -hmm. but what you experience is like, you know, why are they doing this to me? You're in a, you're in a place of defensiveness, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the, you know, like I think the trust and the communication gets ruined sometimes. You guys know that study in the Atlantic where it's like 
guys got to bring up the study in the Atlantic. Because <laughs> if we're if we're talking about Benefer, you know, like right, of course, gotta, of course, gotta bring it back. It's like Riri's actively falling asleep. As <laughs> so great. No, but they did that thing where it's like couples and they test their their um, vitals and they ask them hard questions and they can tell just by like how much your uh, how much your like fight or flight response goes off, uh, how likely you are to get a divorce, you know, interesting, um, with a pretty high degree of accuracy. Cause that means that when you communicate anything difficult, it's like you're, you're going into fight or flight as opposed to like, Oh, I feel like calm and relaxed and safe here hmm. just as like the knee jerk or the default. So, so yeah, of course I think I've probably totally not been the best mm-hmm. or I can just be very avoidant. I'll just like be like, yeah, I'm, I have nothing to say to this, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Do any of you have a story of an ex where you're like, woo, dodged a bullet where they were they went on to do stuff that you're just like, holy shit, I'm really glad I'm not involved with that anymore. And do any of you care to share? Riri? There are some that their lives look very different than I thought they would. Mm -hmm. Like what? You know, like living in LA is an interesting thing because you like with people who you think will be suits or you think they'll be um, studio executives or agents or whatever. And when they like really break out of that, I think that's happened a couple of times where I'm very proud of them Mm -hmm. from afar, from a distance, Mm -hmm. like please go find your happy or whatever. Or, you know, having been a sort of arty person my entire life, the people have gone the opposite way where it's like have completely given up on or seem to have given up on their creativity and that sort of thing. That's like a a bummer, but it all is from a distance, you know, like it all there. I don't have that many exes currently that are like I'm close with Mm -hmm. right now. And I think that is a huge, like we just, everyone grew up like in the, in the question of who was the horror and, and or were you horrified? I was deeply the horror for a, a while because I was horrified. Like I was, because I had trust issues because I had all these things. It made it a very dramatic um, couple years for a while. But now that I'm like, oh, I can put that this was like fear of like, abandonment fear of all these things on all those actions i can step back and be like but i'm glad you're off doing your thing mm-hmm. um so it's not i mean yeah i mean the bullet dodging it's often not the people that i've been very close with or it's been the like someone that you remember you slept with after a holiday party <laughs> it's more of that stuff where you're like "Ooh, i'm glad that bbm didn't come back through that uh-huh. long ago <laughs> So yeah, there is like one that one person that I wasn't ever like that serious with, but um, I realized after the fact that he posts pictures to social media, I don't really keep tabs on him anymore, but most of his social media pictures were him making a facial expression. You know how like Lin-Manuel Miranda does that thing that he never, like that's not a face that human beings make yeah. where he like tucks his lip under his teeth and people make fun of it. Yep. Can you do it? Wait, can you do it really quick? It's like, mm, like that uh, kind of. Yeah, it's like something. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, I'm oh, I'm vexed. You know, it's, it's like, like <laughs> love is love. Mm. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so uh, there was this guy and it's so funny. I had a dodged a bullet moment where I was like, oh, my God, the pictures he made, the faces he makes in his selfies is a face that no human makes. It's like he's trying to be like cute 
And it's like an embarrassing, he has an embarrassing selfie face. And that was like the moment where I was like, oh, I don't want to keep tabs on this person ever again. This is embarrassing for me that this is like, oh, he has a weird selfie face. I don't know. (laughs) No, I mean, I totally get it. Cause then it's like, this is the thing I have to like stand behind publicly, but there is something to the fact that we like the way we see these people are the way they like put themselves out there. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, because we're all, we've all flown off in different parts of the entire world. Mm -hmm. And like, but we still can see the people who like broke our heart on a, corner in Greenwich Village 10 years ago. It's like, it's, it's kind of insane yeah. that we are You able know who to I see still see? Who? When I was in college, Sky and I went to go see a small interactive theater waiting for oh, Godot. Buddy. Okay. Oh. And bear in mind, I'm not a fucking moron. I read the book in French. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> wow. And wow. the execution. An excerpt. And wait, an excerpt. Can we just have a quick excerpt of that, Alyssa, before we get into this? Of, oh, of me in French? No, I yeah. read it. I don't speak it. My accent is so sad. But do you know at the end, it's like, it was a weird thing, right? And at the end, I was like, oh, that was like really interesting. And somehow in the conversation, he was like, you know, there are two types of women. There are the Perrier Jouet and there's Cheap Jug Wine. And it took me like five years to realize he was calling me Cheap Jug Wine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, and you what know a what? nightmare. He's so basic now that I'm just like, how hey, you like my Jug Wine now, you motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> my first boyfriend, uh, who I do not have any contact with, um, my first boyfriend uh, was... Uh, he was the president of the South Asian Student Association at his college. And uh, he now is a, uh, he teaches medical students how to do breast augmentation. So that's, that's his epilogue. Wow. I love that. Love to be clear, this is a white person. No, right? no. Yeah, he's because like, oh, let's flag the yeah. <laughs> he was the a- first boy I was ever like I thought I was in love with when I was in middle school and high school and dated one of my best friends and then would like be like, well, Riri, you get it, like, and I was just like, I can't. He now I went to acting school and apparently was a real sociopath dating multiple girls, but was telling them that he wasn't. And then I ran into him working at Sephora, and I was with my friend. And her baby. And I was like, there's, what's his name? And she was like, well, you did it. You did it. You made it. (laughs) Felt great. Honestly, wish him well. Hope he's having a good time in Baltimore. (laughs) (laughs) Alyssa, what is your ex that has gone on to have the like craziest trajectory? Because I know you've told stories about like when you were dating some guy who was like a DJ or something in New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who's that that guy? Oh, it's all our greatest hits. You guys, I'm not the only one. I mean, do you know what it is? Do you know what I think? I think my stories may possibly be the worst or at least most colorful because I couldn't stalk people on social media when I was dating. So I had no checks and balances. Yeah. But so, um, yeah, he was a DJ. Uh, He was a DJ and um, uh, I met him at my job. And I was like, oh, he's a DJ. And he may or may not have have hosted like porn websites in his free time. I did not know this until much after the fact. Um, And so he was basically just like, he was too cool for me. Okay, him and his websites. And he was too cool for me. And now um, I don't really know what's what's become of him because we're not we're not in touch because I was happy to 
let that bird fly. <laughs> but he, he really, we were at a party once and he was like, I'm going home with that other woman. I mean, I was like 22. Um, and he was like, I'm going home with this other woman. And I was like, cool. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you even say? And that guys is where I drew the line. Yeah. Way to stand up for yourself. <laughs> dating someone, dating a DJ. I can't date DJs or chefs. I can't be up that late. <laughs> and I think I've I've been that way my entire life. Even when I was younger, I like I yes, pointing to the DJ from the dance crowd like yes, he's cute. No, I can't do that. That takes too much effort. Mm-hmm. They're not getting off till four. Not mm-hmm. I. Couldn't do it. What is so funny is how many comedians marry chefs. Yeah, I mean, fuck DJs. But like it's like there's a shocking number of like like Sh- Amy Schumer's married to a chef. Eliza Schlesinger is married mm-hmm. to a chef. And those are my two examples. <laughs> yeah, so but- I think that's pretty conclusive. <laughs> Comedians really like to eat food. You know what? So you know what I think just from whenever I talk to friends about exes and we're like, whoa, being in your 20s is wild. Like, what were we doing? There needs to be some sort of hotline for women who are 25 that you can call and have someone who's like maybe a little older than you being like, please break up with him. Like, <laughs> uh, like, please break up with him. There is no reason in your 20s that you need to hang on to anything that isn't making you happy. There's no there's no dignity in working through something if the person you're with makes you feel like shit. Like, I think about being 25 and some of the shit that I put up with from people is stuff that I would have been a complete non-starter if I had met them when I was like 33. Yeah. You know? And so I think we need a hotline where it's like a talk me, talk me down, like give me, psych me up kind of a hotline, like psych me but up to break up with them. Not to be like an old white person telling you to stay in student debt, but I think there is something about <laughs> going through some of it mm-hmm. to realize not where your limits are, but like how you, pro- how you metabolize these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Because... I don't know if I if I had skipped all that bullshit, I'd be who I am today. And I'm I'm pretty cool with who I am today. Mm-hmm. But I like I I really got my heart broken a couple of times and I, I now call it I also broke my heart because I was an active and participant in a lot of that. And so yeah, don't don't let some man tell you, Alyssa, that he's leaving with that other woman and leave you standing there. But <laughs> maybe you have to see like how I don't know how strong you are. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a little bit. Because you know why, Riri? You know why? Because at the end of the day, that same person who couldn't pay his rent and asked you for money to help pay his rent, which you did at 22, ultimately goes on to score a payday from a uh, Silicon Valley company and doesn't pay you back. And that's why mm-hmm. you need to watch. That's true. And that's why sometimes. There are warning signs we can help the younger people with. That one, that was a biggie. That one, you know what? I would call to pass you and let you know. Mm -hmm. Don't give him that three fifty. DM me. But here's the, but the thing is, Alyssa, you probably don't expect somebody to treat you that way because like our expectations are just based off of how we treat other people. That's very Mm -hmm. true. Like, how is she gonna know that like someone? Because I can, I can see myself being in a situation like that and being like not knowing how to react because I'm like, this is so insane that you would think this is a way to treat a human person on the planet at all. Like, that's so crazy. And, you know, despite all your flaws, you're just such a fucking delight. Jam, people. 
I oh, and look, I ended up though with the loveliest husband. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like a lot of times, you go through stuff, and on the other end of it, you find yourself in a place that you are happy. And I, I hate the idea that everything happens for a reason because it doesn't. Everything is totally no. random. But you can take what happens to you and make the best of it, and find a way to be happy with what you've made. And like, sometimes you wouldn't get to where you are if you didn't go through all the shit that you went through, like embarrassing DJ exes who borrow money from you and don't pay you back. Uh, Like, you know, people who made you feel like shit when you were like in your formative years. It's just sort of, sometimes it's just stuff you need to go through. But I do think that if you are at a point where you feel like you need to go through someone's phone or you have to go through their email, or if you feel really compellingly like you need to snoop, you probably already know what you're going to find. And that is either that they are doing what you are afraid they are doing, or your fear has driven you crazy and you need to take a beat and figure your shit out. But um, we have to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I feel petty. We're doing I feel petty this week. It's I petty. Feel petty. It's I feel petty. Are we petty? Cool. <laughs> Stick around. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. All right, welcome back. We have reached almost the end of the show, but not quite the end of the show because we still have meaningless things to complain about that we need you to hear about. It's I Feel Petty. Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about this week? Okay, guys. So as the person who 90% of the time is the only East Coast person on uh, an email chain, please specify time zones. Please stop making me ask is this Pacific time or is this East Coast time? It makes me feel like a twit. I don't like to do it. How hard is it to be like, are you available at 2 p.m. East Coast? Why do I have to write back all the time? It's not that hard. I'm not even asking for the correct Pacific daylight versus Pacific standard. Just give me a PT or an ET so I can get on with myself. I stop giving me the responsibility of sorting it out. I think that's a great thing to feel petty about. Another thing that sometimes happens though is it becomes a little bit of a like power play where someone is like, I'll talk to you at 11 my time. Oh, okay. Your time. Right. I agree with that too. (laughs) I mean, I do that, but- I shouldn't. <laughs> um, okay, here, here's what I'm feeling petty about this week. So uh, the journey of gestating a human has been a real real uh, voyage of discovery for me in, in a bunch of different ways. Um, it's 75% cool, 25% fucking terrible. Um, but one of the main reasons that being pregnant is sort of terrible is the way that people talk to you, the messaging you get, the way that people talk about pregnant people is just like really egregious and weird. Um, And there's a lot of like infantilizing. There's a lot of like treating us as though we became stupid as soon as we got inseminated. Um, One thing that I really want to feel petty about this week, or I have been feeling petty about this week is all of the pregnancy books that I had said something about like after 20 weeks, you don't lay on your back. You can compress like 
blood vessels and it can make you pass out or it can hurt the baby. Don't lay on your back. Don't lay on your back. Well, I can't lay on my stomach because my stomach is big. And, uh, so, and lying on my side makes my like shoulders fall asleep. So sleep, I was like avoiding lying on my back, um, because of what I was reading. I went to my OBGYN the other week and I asked her, you know, is it, you know, is it okay to lie on my back for like 10 minutes if I just want to take a quick nap? And she went off. She was like, I cannot believe that women are told don't lie on your back. If that were true, humans would not reproduce like the human race would be doomed. Lie on your back as much as you want. That only applies in like, you know, situations where you have like an epidural and you're going to be on your back when you're at full term for like a very long time. Anyway, the lying on your back thing did not apply to my specific situation, according to my doctor. And I had been having like fitful side sleep, bullshit side sleep for like months before I was like, oh, I can sleep on my back. So, you know, I really, there's already too much stuff that we have to do. And the being told by all these books and all these people that I can't lie on my back anymore just caused me all this extra grief that didn't need to happen. So the moral of the story is um, if you ever are pregnant or if you are currently pregnant, talk to your doctor about these like common things that are just repeated over and over in books about pregnancy, because those things might not apply to your situation. And if they don't, it'll save you a lot of nights of like barely sleeping. So that's, that's what I feel petty about this week. Quit fucking telling every pregnant woman that it applies to everyone. Cause it doesn't. Okay. That's what I feel petty about. I feel like I heard that when I was like 10, like I've heard that my whole life. That's so crazy. Yeah. And then also the thing about like, don't eat lunch meat. It's because yeah. of like listeria fears, but listeria outbreaks are usually tied to like bagged salads, not lunch meat. So like we tell women to not eat a thing that never really like it's just it's it is such a fucking landmine field of bad advice and like over policing and guilt and uh, fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And the, the bigger note here is like just because something's in a book, it doesn't mean it's true. Oh my God. <laughs> There's in my Mayo Clinic guide to pregnancy, I was like, this will be clinical. There was a section on the baby blues, aka postpartum depression, aka a very serious mental health challenge that many women face after giving birth. It is fucking serious and it has not been taken seriously by the medical community at all. And in the book from the Mayo Clinic, it said that if you are a pessimistic person, you are more likely to experience postpartum depression. Like you can somehow like optimistic yourself out of postpartum depression. I'll like talk about this on a future episode, but I've experienced like pregnancy related depression. And I gotta say, there's no thinking your way out of it, man. It is not a thing that you can just be like, what if I just smiled more? It's fucking bullshit. Anyway, I guess I feel petty about two things this week. <laughs> but Aaron, did you try a dance? Did you try dancing? Did you like a jig? It's like, did you try did you try cherishing? Try cherishing it a little harder. No, fuck you. There's a chemical imbalance that needs to be addressed by chemistry. And thinking my way out of it is not gonna work. Okay, Kieran, what do you feel petty about this week? I was going to say, I I mean, I guess these are dovetail petties because it's like, you know, Alyssa was complaining about the PTET time in emails, but I was going to be like, I can't believe we still have to do emails. (laughs) (laughs) 
just, I think it's wild. Like, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not spending enough time on the screen. Oh, we didn't just all live through like a global pandemic that is like, has this like long tail that we're going through. But now you don't want me to even stare at a sky or a tree. You want me to stare at my computer screen and have the absolute worst possible time that is available to me as a human being on the planet because life is supposed to be a fucking punishment. Really? Really? Is that the move? Is that the vibe? That's just the vibe we're going for? My issue isn't the PTET thing. My issue is like, wh- like, like, why email at all? <laughs> why are we doing that? Why do I still have to read stuff on my screen? Isn't it, hasn't it been enough? When is enough enough? That's, the- <laughs> That's my petty. I get it. Why do I need to write a letter with like a greeting and a conclusion? And yeah. And all the typing and the screens. I think it's the screens. It's like I'm already like we're already minimizing. We've had to minimize the amount of actual eye contact you have with human beings. Oh, I know. How can we make this worse? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole industry designed to get us to look at screens for as much time as possible. The attention economy is going after your attention. And every minute you're not looking at a screen is a minute that they want you to be looking at a screen. And by they, I mean the lizard people who are. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I was going to ask that. And then the other thing I just want to say in in response to your pregnancy um, rant, which honestly didn't feel that petty. It felt like you know, I remember sometimes somebody has a petty and, and I was like, no, I don't think that's that petty. Like, I think that's a pretty reasonable point of rage. But, um, my friend sent me these, uh, dish gloves from Amazon that are labeled as women's wear on Amazon Stop to wash your dishes labeled as women's wear, I'll send it to you guys. It's un like, and she's like, I have complained about this. And she was like, I didn't even get the screen grab. And then she sent me the screen grab because I was like, uh, you know, it's possible that she's delusional. Maybe she's living in 1997 or I don't know, 1895, <laughs> you know? But I was like, that is wild, wild oh that that God. is, uh, you know. Yikes. Uh, Sexism still alive and well, it turns out. We haven't yet defeated it despite that dove soap ad campaign. Uh, we're all beautiful. Uh, Riri, what is your I feel petty this week? Um, other than the gardener outside my house being loud, my I feel petty <laughs> um, is, in, uh, is in relation to the age-old legend, when one uh, bed rises, a mat must fall. So <laughs> in, in doing the uh, press tour for Stillwater, Matt Damon has gone into some hot water uh, due to some comments regarding uh, using uh, homophobic slurs in the past, and it was it was framed as if uh, he he just stopped using it because his daughter wrote a treatise, which is an interesting use of word uh, to tell him why it was wrong. He went on to clarify that he it stands by the LGBT community, and uh, it it what he was more that he was just so proud of his daughter for being so passionate when he was just telling a story about a line he said in the 2003 film Stuck on Me, which I have watched quite a few times because it ends in a tap dance featuring Greg Kinnear and Meryl Streep. (laughs) My issue here isn't so much about uh, Matt Damon himself, who has uh, often been in public asking why, why is my education 
why am I not getting enough credit for telling you I might educate myself on diversity issues or um, LGBT issues? It isn't um, around the fact that uh, another, uh, not as, as famous or white celebrity has recently gone in hot water about homophobia and he has been fully canceled and this person will not be at all. Um, it's more of the point that there's a small contingent of white liberal people on Twitter standing in front of Matt Damon that I cannot stand. He doesn't need you to stand in front of him. He will be <laughs> fine. It's this like idea of like proximity to white liberalism, like evolution. Like how dare you be mad at him for saying something that no one asked him. No one made, no one asked him. The the fact that white people really like to put their foot in it, you could be uninvolved and unimpressed, but you keep Liam Neeson telling him people he was hunting black people last year. <laughs> Nobody asked you that question. <laughs> Baby, silence is an option. But all of these people on Twitter being like, oh, so you've been perfect your whole life? Oh, he can't evolve. Look at him. Is he cute? I'm like, no. You're you're applauding someone doing the least because you know you only want to do the least every other fucking time. And it shows. You are showing your ass and you don't think you are, but you are. So as previously stated, there is always an option to mind your own damn business. Matt Damon's not going to see your tweaks. It's not going to make him want to fuck you. So you don't need to stand in front of a rich white guy who at the end of the day is going to have no consequences and endless amount of chances because he wrote a play or a film with his friend who gets to hold J-Lo's ass. And that's what I feel petty about. Very good. That's a great note to end on today, <laughs> uh, kind of bringing the whole episode full circle. Um, Riri and Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Thank you to Amanda Knox for chatting with me. And thanks to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastermonico is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Malconian and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. 